Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Saturday, January the 8th, 2022. It is currently 9.19 a.m. Central Time, and here I am in the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in Ovalo, Texas. And this is a special episode of our Bible study exercise in Micah chapter 5. We spent a couple of days listening to a sermon on Micah chapter 5 to add to our study of Micah chapter 5. And in that sermon, some things happened that really bothered me, frustrated me, and I've been thinking about it all evening or all last night, and then early this morning, I've been thinking about it and thinking about it. I'm like, what what, what should I do as a result of that sermon? What do I need to do for all the people participating in the Bible uh, study exercise that I think would be very beneficial? So I decided to drive out here to the church, hook all of the podcasting equipment up, go live on the air to do this special episode where I am going to try to show you and demonstrate to you in a very clear way of why we need to interpret biblical prophecy literally unless everything in the text screams otherwise. Because in the sermon that we reviewed, and you can go back and listen to the previous parts, and the sermon that we reviewed in Micah chapter 5, there were times that the pastor that was preaching handled some of the things in the text as very literal. That's that's literal Assyrians. That's a literal coming into literal Jerusalem. And this is a literal siege. And that's a that's literally King Hezekiah. And that's literally like everything, literal, literal, literal. And then just without any explanation, without any reason, all of a sudden, oh, that's not literal Assyria. No, that's not literally going to happen that way. No, that's spiritually going to be fulfilled in a spiritual kingdom by us, uh, presenting the gospel to people. And it's like, how in the world, how, how do you just, are you know, just, I guess just whenever you want, you can just go from literal to figurative to spiritual. And it, it's very frustrating to see that happen. So I just want to give an example. Maybe you'll find this to be interesting. Maybe you already know this information, but I just want to show you a biblical prophecy and just how literally it occurred and just to, to just, I just want you to see this and I want you to, well, not see it, but hear it. Okay. I want you to see it in your mind because I think if you will remember this, then whenever, whenever you're in other parts of say Ezekiel, Zechariah, any of the major or minor prophets, there's going to be times you read things. And I just want you to remember the prophecy we're going to talk about right now. It's not in Micah chapter five, but again, this is why this is a special episode, right? So I want you to just remember what we're getting ready to look at right now. And then whenever you're reading Isaiah or, or, or just any major or minor prophets, I keep wanting to name specific books, but any of the major or minor prophets, I want you to remember this so that when you read a prophecy, I want you to, your first thought to be, well, let's look for a literal fulfillment, either in history or in the future, but let's look for a literal fulfillment first before we start spiritualizing it, turning it into some kind of allegory. Let's look for a literal fulfillment because when you re- when you hear about this one, 
I think you'll be like, whoa, well, that was very literal. So that's a pretty good example of how it typically occurs. And and I, and I mean, I know in some ways, in some ways, maybe, maybe you don't need to be reminded of this. But when you hear sermons like we heard the other day in our review, I... I I feel like that maybe people need to be reminded of this even more. So so maybe I'm going to be accomplishing something this morning. Maybe I'm just going to be talking to myself. But it, it bothered me. Maybe it didn't bother you as much as it bothered me. But it really bothered me greatly. Because I, I and maybe, maybe I'm sensitive to this because of, you know, going to schools that taught, you know, an amillennial position. And then, you know, reading Matthew Henry's commentaries where he does this frequently, you're you're in one of the, you know, major or minor prophets. And the next thing you know, he's like, okay, that's not Israel. That's not land. That's the church. That's just the spread of the gospel. And you're like, wait, wait, what just, how did this turn into something so spiritual and figurative? And and where there, why is it no longer literal in any way, shape or form? And then there'll be another section of the same book. You'll see this in Isaiah all the time. Oh, that virgin, that's a real virgin having a real child. That so so it's like it's really just there's no rhyme or reason to it and it bothers me greatly because we have to have a more consistent way of handling scripture. And I think a just a basic rule is when I read a prophecy, I'm going to have to I'm going to go with that it's a literal prophecy with a literal fulfillment either in the past for us, maybe future for the people who originally received the prophecy, but it may be past, we can look back and find the fulfillment, or it's future and we just don't know how it's going to occur. But but it's going to happen literally. I just think that that's your options, unless there's just something in the text that just screams at you, nope, not literal, not literal, not literal, unless, unless there's just something that you have no other choice. But we're, we're going to hopefully see this. So let's do this. Let's go back. Um, I, well, I won't give any dates right now. Let's just go to Ezekiel chapter 26. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 26. Ezekiel chapter 26. Ezekiel 26. Ezekiel chapter 26. I could break down a lot of the dates here for right now, but I, I'm not... Uh, I'm just going to go through this, and I think this will make a lot of sense, and hopefully this will be beneficial. Again, I know we're, this week is all about Micah chapter 5, but whenever you're doing Bible study, all right, it's very important. Sometimes something happens in your Bible study that just requires maybe a little detour to really dig into a topic a little bit more so that you have a better understanding. And I think this is just going to serve as a great example of why when you read prophecy and the minor major or minor prophets this is why you should always look for a literal fulfillment because of examples like i'm about to give you right here from the book of ezekiel here we go ezekiel chapter 26 ezekiel chapter 26 starting in verse 1 and it came to pass in the 11th year and the first day of the month that the word of the lord came unto me saying son of man because that Tyrus hath said against Jerusalem, aha, she is broken. That was the gates of the people. She has turned unto me. I shall be replenished. Now she is laid waste. Therefore, 
Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Tyrus, and will cause many nations to come up against thee, as the sea causeth his ways, waves to come up. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyrus and break her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. And it shall be a place for spreading of nets in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken it, saith the Lord God, and it shall, and it shall become a spoil to the nations. And her daughters, which are in the field, shall be slain by the sword, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So this is a specific prophecy against the city of Tyre. This is our Tyrus, as it's stated in Ezekiel 26 in the King James. But this is against Tyre. Now, you can look at this and some would look at a prophecy like this and in some instances would say, oh, it's figurative. It's not literal. And they would do that if they cannot find a literal fulfillment. If they can't immediately find a literal fulfillment, then they'll say, okay, it, then it's, it's, it's not literal. Then it has to be figurative. It has to be spiritual. The problem is just because you can't find a literal fulfillment doesn't mean there won't be a literal fulfillment in the future. It just means one hasn't occurred yet. Because when this prophecy was originally given, well, obviously, it didn't immediately happen. In fact, this prophecy is given. He prophesied this prophecy. Ezekiel prophesies this 250 years before it actually takes place. He prophesied this somewhere around 586 BC. This is not fulfilled to somewhere in the 300 BC, three, around 330, 332, 334, 335 BC. So it's about 250 years later. So when the prophecy was given, people were like, well, there's no literal fulfillment. I can't find a literal fulfillment. All right, then it has to be spiritual. It, it can't be the real city of Tyre has to represent this. And this has to represent God coming in with, with a, a message of repentance or whatever the case may be. It's just start spiritualizing everything. Just because you can't find a literal fulfillment as of yet doesn't mean there won't be one in the future. Because here was a prophecy, there was no literal fulfillment for around 250 years, but when it finally came to pass, it came to pass literally, all right? Here is some information. I'm pulling this information from a book called Bible Times and Ancient Kingdoms, Treasures from History and Archaeology, all right? So I'm pulling this from a book called Bible Times and ancient kingdoms, treasures from history and archaeology. All right, here we go. In 332 BC, Alexander conquered Tyre. Real person, real Tyre, a real conquering of it. It was one of the greatest military feats in history. The event took seven months to complete. Ezekiel prophesied of this 250 years earlier, soon after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC. He described both destructions of Tyre. Uh, uh, he, he described both destructions of Tyre. All right, so there were, there were more than one destruction, but he described both, right? 
first. There was the destruction by Nebuchadnezzar, and this is talked about in Ezekiel chapter 26, 7 through 11. This occurred in 573 BC. If you want to read about that destruction, Ezekiel chapter 26, look in verse 7. For thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will bring upon Tyrus Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. There we go. And so he's going to describe both destructions, the one that happens by Alexander and the one that happened by Nebuchadnezzar. Both are going to be described in the biblical text. So first there was the destruction by Nebuchadnezzar, Ezekiel chapter 26, 7 through 11. This occurred in 573 BC after a 13-year siege. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the city of Tyre on on the coast, but he did not touch the fortress city on the island. A further destruction is described in Ezekiel 26, 12 through 16, in which, I quote, they shall lay thy stones and thy timber and thy dust in the midst of the water, and I will make thee like the top of a rock. Thou shalt be a place to spread nets upon. Note that the pronoun changes from he in verses 7 to 11 to they in verses 12 through 16. The second destruction was at the hand of Alexander and others who followed him. So even even the pronouns indicates a change and is very accurate in describing what literally took place. The island city of Tyre was beautiful and well fortified, as we have described in the chapter on the Phoenician Empire. The outer walls on the side of the mainland were were a massive 150 uh, feet in height, and were surrounded with battlements and towers. So basically, you had, you had think of it this way: you had the you had basically Tyre located on the land, and then they had moved the city in a sense uh, out from the land into basically like an island fortress city out into the water. And this this fortified city, this island city, was. Uh, the, the 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 outer walls on the side of the mainland were massive were were a massive hundred and fifty feet in height and were sur- surmounted with battlements and towers. Originally, Tyre sat on two islands, but King Hiram f- uh, filled up the channel between them and greatly enlarged the main island towards the east, filling up the sea with stone and rubbish. Uh, to a considerable distance on that side and obtaining thereby a broad space, which he laid out in streets and squares. The one island thus created had a circumference of about two and a half miles. The city had had two harbors. Uh, The main harbor was to the north called the Sidian Harbor. Ethbal, Grandson of Hiram added another harbor called the Egyptian Harbor because it faced south towards Egypt. There was a ship canal between the two harbors. Alexander asked the Tyrians, or the Tyrians, I think is how you would say this because it's the city of, 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 of uh, the city of Tyre, so the Tyrians, uh, for permission to worship at the tent, temple of Melquart, or Melkart, which he identified. Uh, with the Greek god Hercules. 
They refused, believing that it was a ploy to gain entrance to the city. They felt secure with their navy and their walls. When Alexander made one final demand that they surrender, they killed his ambassador and threw his body into the sea. In an amazing feat of engineering and persistence, Alexander constructed a note or causeway one kilometer long and 200 feet wide. In the process of building the causeway, Alexander used the material from the ruins of the city that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed and literally swept the stones, timber, and dust into the sea exactly as as Ezekiel had prophesied. He prophesied that's exactly what would happen. Again, go back to Ezekiel chapter 26. Ezekiel chapter 26. Uh, Let's see here. Um, I will look at uh, Ezekiel 26.4. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyrus and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. So literally, it's just, everything is just scraped off because he's going to make this causeway so that he can get from the land to the island city. Absolutely crazy how this works out. Um, Alexander led from the front as usual, spreading, spending much of his time on the causeway, encouraging and rewarding the workers. Alexander was present every day, conferring with the engineers, encouraging his men and carrying stone after stone into the sea himself. As the causeway got nearer to the city, the Tyrians, or the Tyre, the Tyrians, killed many soldiers and laborers with arrows and spears fired from the city walls and ships. To counteract this, Alexander built the highest siege towers ever used in the history of war. Each one was 20 stories tall. They had wheels on which to travel across the moat where they were used as artillery platforms with catapults to hurl missiles and large stones at the Tyrians. The towers were covered with rawhide and kept soaked with water to protect them from flaming arrows. They were also connected with a large rawhide screen to protect the causeway workers. As a countermeasure, the Tyrians made a fire ship from a horse transport filled with dried branches, pitch, and sulfur. Uh, they had, uh, there was also uh, uh, th- uh, things of oil were hung from the mast. They weighed down the back of the ship to rise up the front and ran it into the end of the causeway, burning up the towers and the siege equipment. That night, a mighty storm damaged the causeway. A terrific storm pounded the remains of the damaged causeway with towering waves loosening the piles and sending tons of rock and rubble into the water. Instead of giving up, the project and the face of the severe setback, Alexander ordered his men to rebuild the siege towers and to continue building the moat. Alexander was able to gain command of the sea around Tyre with a fleet of 225 ships that included those that had defected from the Persians in various places. He, he mounted siege equipment and battering rams on some of the ships. The Tyrians poured red-hot sand over the walls onto the besieging ships, setting them on fire and burning the soldiers. Alexander finally 
gained access to the south part of the city walls and personally led his army into the city. Alexander killed 8,000 Tyrians, including 2,000 that were crucified on the beach. He sold 30,000 into slavery, including women and children. Previously, Tyre had sold Jews as slaves to the uh, Grecians. Now the Grecians enslaved the people of Tyre. And that's in Joel chapter 3. The island fortress city was not rebuilt, as Ezekiel 26.14 says. Part of it fell into the sea on the south, west, and north. Ezekiel said, and I quote, For thus saith the Lord God, When I shall make thee a desolate city, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I shall bring up the deep upon thee, and great waters shall cover thee. Ezekiel 26.19 History is silent on what caused Tyre to be submerged, but the Bible seems to describe it as a great storm. Uh, One writer observes, but as far as the island city, it apparently sank below the surface of the Mediterranean. All that remains of it is a series of black reefs offshore from Tyre, which surely could not have been there in the first and second millennial BC, since they possess such a threat to navigation. Uh, The submerged parts of the ancient city can be seen on Google Earth. In 1170, the Jewish traveler Benjamin of Tadella visited Tyre and gave the following description. A man can ascend the walls of new Tyre and see ancient Tyre, where, which the sea has now covered, lying at a stone's throw from the new city. And should one care to go forth by boat, one can see the castle, market, places, streets, and palaces in the bed of the sea. Tyre never regained its prominence as a merchant kingdom. Ezekiel 27:36 says, "And never shall be any more." This chapter in Ezekiel describes Tyre's great merchandising kingdom, and it is what which ended with Alexander's destruction of the city. Uh, Tyre was, uh, was rebuilt and became a, a vassal to whatever power controlled the region. After Alexander's death, the city came under the control of, and it goes to the different people that took control of at different times. All right. Tyre became a place of fishermen, just as Ezekiel 26, 14 prophesied. In 1697, H. Mondral visited Tyre and said it was inhabited by a few poor wretches harboring themselves in vaults and subsisting chiefly on fishing. On a visit to Tyre in 1838, Andrew Bonar uh, wrote, Alexander the Great seems actually to have scraped away the very rubbish as well as as the stones of old Tyre to construct his causeway. And now the bare rocks along the shore on some part of which the ancient city must have stood is literally a place for the spreading of nets. The first man uh, we met in the gate of Tyre was a fisherman carrying a load of fish. In 1839, Dave Roberts made a drawing of fishermen with their nets with the ruins of the ancient city in the background. Exactly what Ezekiel 
26 says. Let me read it again. They shall destroy the walls of Tyrus, break down her towers. I will scrape her dust from her, make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken it, saith the Lord God, and it shall become a spoil to the nations. Literally, it literally happened. It was literally fulfilled in a literal way. It wasn't spiritual. It wasn't figurative. It wasn't allegorical. Tyre didn't represent this. The walls didn't represent. The waters didn't represent. Fishermen didn't represent. It, it's not like, well, Tyre was a, uh, represents the, the, the kingdom of Satan and it was destroyed. And now fishermen, that's, that's people bringing the gospel because we're called to be, it, it's none of this allegorical, spiritual nothing. It is actually, literally was a city it was literally destroyed. There were two conquerings of the city, one by Nebuchadnezzar, one by Tyre. The, the old city was scraped to make a causeway so that Alexander could make his way out with his armies to capture the island city. Even though the causeway gets temporarily destroyed, they don't give up. They rebuild it. They come in, they destroy the walls. They, bring, they, they, they completely destroy the city. They completely just scrape it into the ocean, and it became a place just for spreading of nets. And now today, even the island city still doesn't exist. If you go there, you may have the new tire, but the where the old island city was, it's not. There's nothing there. There's just some reefs there. It all, and we don't know historically exactly how it happened or why it happened, but we know why it happened from a biblical perspective because God promised that that's exactly what would happen. There would be nothing left there but some rocks to spread some nets. And that's what happened. Now, that's that's amazing that that prophecy is given hundreds of years before it occurs and then it occurs exactly the way we read it. Now, I'm, I'm sorry if, if reading that was boring to you, but... It's, it's, it's significant. I, I wanted to just, I could have broken that down and, and we could have gone through each verse in Ezekiel 26, but you can go read uh, Ezekiel 26 for yourself. You can look up all the other passages of that talk about the prophecy against Tyre. You can read and you can read in history books exactly what happened. You can read in history books what happened. You don't even need a, books written from a biblical perspective because that's what happened to t- the city of Tyre. It was literal. Now, I just want you to just have that burned in your brain because whenever you hear these sermons, we're like, well, okay, well, that's not really the Assyrians and this is not literal and this is not. Why are they saying that? Now, it's, it's one thing if they can say, see in the text, but in the sermon that we reviewed from Micah, his argument was, well, because it never happened. Okay, well, if it's never happened, then maybe we need to look to the future for a future fulfillment. And why would it not futurely be literally fulfilled if everything else in Micah and other places was literally fulfilled? Was there, was, did Jesus, was Jesus literally born in Bethlehem? If he was, well, then that's a literal fulfillment of Micah 5 2. Well, then why wouldn't everything else in the chapter be literal? It's just like really weird. Like it, they'll go from like literally one verse is literal, and then the next verse someone will claim is figurative or spiritual. It's like, how, how do you make 
that decision to do that. Like that's not a good, that's a very questionable hermeneutic at best. And Ezekiel 26, it's literal. Everything's literal. But guess what many will do when they get to the end of Ezekiel? When they get to uh, the end of Ezekiel and you have this rebuilding of the temple, Ezekiel's temple uh, vision, that goes from chapter 40 to chapter 40, you see chapter 41, chapter 42, chapter 43, chapter 44, all, all of this, this description of the rebuilding of this temple, many will say, well, that's not literal. That's not a literal temple that's being rebuilt because that te- temple has never been built. So it's not literal. It's figurative. It's spiritual. Why would that be literal? Why would that be figurative and spiritual if just chapters before, when you get a prophecy about the destruction of Tyre, it's literal? It, th- this kind of thing, the average Christian needs to be better equipped so that they're not manipulated by preachers who play these games with the text. And that's why I wanted to take a little bit of time today for you to just know the story of what happened to the city of Tyre. So here's what I'm going to do. I apologize at the reading of that. I know I could have really broken it down and described each scene a little bit better. So so in some ways I regret, I, I probably should have done that, but I didn't, I just wanted to give you the basic information. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this article um, I'm going to take this article and I'm going to, I'm going to try to post it at the theology and the theologycentral.net blog, theologycentral.net. If you just go to theologycentral.net, go to the blog section. I'm going to try to post it there. I will also try to include it, uh, post a link to it, um, in the discord channel so that everyone has access there. So if anybody wants to read this article for yourself and then you can go check the biblical text and you can look at it uh, and see it a little bit better then by all means do that um, because I, I just, yeah, it really bothered me the way the way that pastor handled the book of Micah. It really, it just, it bothered me to no end. So I, I just think that this is very important for you to see, for you to know. Um, I, I'll never forget when I first learned about the prophecy of the destruction of Tyre, I was blown away because I'd, I had studied the destruction of Tyre in school, Right about Alexander the Great coming in and doing this. And, and now here's the city and he scrapes it off into the water to make this causeway. It was like this awesome, you know, wartime story. So I was like, this is so awesome. This is, this is cool. Can you imagine what Alexander did? This is so amazing. So like, it, and I could picture it in my mind and it was just like this cool war story. Um, and then when I found out, wait a minute, the that was prophesied and it's talked about in the Bible. Wait, 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 what? And I could, I was like, it really it had a massive impact on how I trusted the Bible. It really did. It really had a profound impact on me because I'd learned the history of Tyre way before I even knew it was in the Bible. So when I found out it was in the Bible, I was like, wait a minute and say, no, when was this prophecy given? Wait, hundreds of years before it happened and it happened exactly I was like, whoa, this, this is, this is awesome, awesome, awesome. So, um, and it, in many cases, even though I kind of moved away from, in other words, I, I kind of forgot how literal that was, or I didn't forget how literal that was. I overlooked how literal that prophecy was 
when I started learning kind of the all-mill position and started allowing myself to spiritualize passages, thinking that somehow I was now, I was more, I was smarter now. I was, I was, I was more educated now because I was basically told and from the all-mill position, see, the all-millennial people are smarter, they're more educated, they're basically more intelligent. Now, it wasn't stated this way in a very explicit way, but it was implied. And those uneducated, crazy people are the literal fulfillment, dispensationalist, left-behind, crazy people. And and I never realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is not about this is not about left behind dispensationalism. This is not about educated, uneducated. This is just about what hermeneutic should you utilize from Genesis to Revelation. Now, I am definitely understand that there are times in the Bible where a parable is used. There's a time in the there's times in the Bible where figurative language is used for illustration purposes. But I think typically the text of Scripture will indicate that. And if there is no indication that that's what's happening, then you go with the literal fulfillment. So if you have a prophecy, you're like, well, it's never been fulfilled. Don't immediately spiritualize it. Say, well, what if this is going to be fulfilled in the future in a literal way? If you say that, where, how could it possibly happen is there anything in the Bible that would possibly give you a situation where that prophecy could be literally fulfilled? If so, then go with that. All right. Now, I'm going to have to stop right there. I hope that was beneficial. I really do. All right. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Well, again, what I'm going to do, I'm going to get this article posted theologycentral.net. I'm going to try to do that here in just a minute. And then I'm going to post it in the Discord channel. And then, um, well, and if you if you can't find it in either of those places, email me newsif at yahoo.com and I'll send you a link. Just have this down, but have it down, not just, just to go, ooh, look at how awesome this prophecy is. No, no, no. Have it down as a example of a hermeneutical principle that you may need to keep with you whenever you're reading the rest of the major and minor prophets. All right, I'll stop right there. Everyone have a great day. God bless.